And only a single payer has the tools and the financing and the weight and the might to begin reckoning with problems like housing or food insecurity or abuse or long-term care disabilities, environmental justice. Only single payer has the ability to kind of like take on these problems, the leverage. It becomes our tool, our fulcrum, our lever to like begin attacking these big, broader monsters, these monsters of capitalism, Mm -hmm. which devour us and uh, nothing else. No other fucking interim plan, no public option, no nothing can even begin to comprehend these problems as problems. Yeah. Your glide path has nothing on this plan. Welcome to what is uh, definitely the last installment of our... Is it definitely the last, the last one? Yeah, we picked the order, right? Yeah. Welcome to our very final Medicare for All Week interview. We are really excited to have a um, longtime friend of the show, Tim Faust, back. Hi, Tim. Hello. What a good week. <laughs> <laughs> We're so glad you're on now. If you haven't uh, done yourself the favor of reading Tim's book yet... Um, I don't think we could recommend it higher, so check out Help Justice Now. Uh, buy it somewhere other than Amazon. It's available a lot of different places. You can go to healthjusticenow.com and see where you can buy it. Perfect. There oh, we yeah. go. So, yeah. Um, Tim Faust, author extraordinaire. Yeah. Great yeah, human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're so glad. It wouldn't be Medicare for All Week without you. You know what I mean? Wherever there is Medicare for All Week, I will be there. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Vince says he always overeats at Medicare for All Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is the new tradition. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like Thanksgiving, but for healthcare. And ironically, we're recording this on the night of Iowa, and it will be probably released the day of New Hampshire. So how's that for is, a mind fuck? Yeah, maximum <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Should we uh, should we go ahead and just like get right into it? Let's get in the pit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so Tim, you've been a long time advocate for single payer, and probably a lot of our audience knows you. But let's say someone has never heard of you before. What's like a thirty second? <laughs> who is Tim Faust? What are, like, what are you up to? What have you been up to? I'm literally just some guy. Uh, <laughs> and I have a 2002 Honda CRV with 300,000 miles. Yeah. And I drove it around the U.S., talked to folks about single payer, and learned more intimately what healthcare looks like where they live. Because healthcare disparities are very, very um, um, regionally focused. Healthcare needs in Manhattan and Brooklyn are different. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn and Boise, Boise and Birmingham, Birmingham and uh, LA, they're all very different from each other. So I got a chance to see what healthcare looks like on the ground. And from that, I wrote a book, Health Justice Now and Single Payer, What Comes Next, available now from your local bookseller, <laughs> um, which talks about uh, both the fight for Medicare for all in the general sense and in those more specific senses. Like what, 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 what does housing mean in the context of single pair? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what does this disability mean? What does food mean? What, is, what, what does race mean? And um, people just keep letting me do it. So I'm just tra- <laughs> trucking on forward from there. I mean, that's how most research is done, right? Just uh, keeping to the road and talking to as many people as will come up to you and tell mm-hmm. you their stories. You know, every every academic we talk to, whether they're, very serious and associated with Harvard, or I would argue that you're an academic in a sense as well. You have a highly academic research practice of uh, person-to-person interaction and, and collecting all these 
horrible stories of uh, just the way that our current for-profit healthcare system fails people day in, day out. You know, mm-hmm. I dropped out of grad school to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more informative experience. A people's academic, mm-hmm. if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like The Rock was the people's champion. Exactly. <laughs> what do they say? The University of the Road or something? School of Hard Knocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So check out Tim's work. That's who Tim is. Tim, welcome. We're happy to have you here. Let's just dive right into uh, the current situation, right? Cool. Um, one of the things that I was thinking we could start with is that... Uh, you have been mentioning this phrase recently on Twitter that you feel like we've entered into phase two of the Medicare for all fight. So we're sort of in this situation where in the very first week of primaries, that's part of why we did this programming when we did, you know, so that you could have a little bit of a break from the like this many points here, that many points here, this poll, that poll, like crap and sort of recenter yourself on the issues you know what I mean? And um, I think sort of gear up to, as you're saying, get ready for part two, which is I think we're really getting started on the real next big leg of the fight right now. I, I believe so. I think uh, uh, if this is a three act play, like all good <laughs> plays are, then act one was kind of recognizing the glaring inequities in our American healthcare model, building in, mm-hmm. like the, the beginnings, the, the seedlings, the foundations of a mass movement. And uh, never, you never want to kind of hang your hat. You never want to mar- set, set your markers by like policy ideas because mm-hmm. they're a dime a dozen. But the, the, the development and, cult- and cultivation of two like ironclad or mostly ironclad single payer Medicare for all policies, which we have now in both the Sanders bill and the Jayapal bill, though I like Jayapal's yeah. bill Same. a little bit more. Uh, and I think we're there now. I think we've, we've got the bills, we've got the people, we've got like the contradictions have been heightened to a point where no one can pretend that healthcare in America is good mm-hmm. unless they're like just a fucking like ghoul, in which case, uh, <laughs> never going to win them over. Like, that's fine. They're right. allowed, they're allowed to exist. They deserve good healthcare, but right. uh, not going to get it for them. Yeah, we'll they fight like for them too. <laughs> Some folks just can't reach, perhaps not uh, spend our time dealing with those folks, but most people, and I do mean most, an overwhelming majority of people are dissatisfied with American healthcare. Um, and if they don't right now, they will eventually because at some point they'll get sick or get hit by a car or whatever, and they'll experience it firsthand. Um, I was reading an article earlier today, a paper earlier today, talking about the costs of pregnancy and delivery, healthy delivery. Oh, boy. Healthy delivery has an out-of-pocket cost on average people with employer insurance of, I think, like 47 to $5,200. And that's gone up from 3000 in, 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 in that, Sorry, that was of... Uh, as of 2016, it's gone up uh, even more in the past four years. But that was an increase from 3000 or 3200 in 2013. So the costs keep going up, which is led by people's deductibles going up because deductibles have no ceiling. They just increase over and over and over again. And uh, now the cost for even like a healthy delivery is in the like in mid- halfway to $10,000. And of course, there's that oh, famous anecdote that 40% of Americans don't have more than 400 bucks saved for an emergency. Mm-hmm. Not because like they're don't. bad spenders, but because like no one has money. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of, you, you point these two things together and you say, oh shit, like we literally can't afford to have kids anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the literal act of giving birth cannot be afforded anymore. This is clearly a bad way to run a healthcare organization. This is about to <laughs> administer our, our healthcare spending. Right. Yeah, capitalism I mean, itself has generated a eugenics program, mm-hmm. essentially, through <laughs> being able to even afford uh, having a child. Right. And even if you do everything the right way, you're still fucked, right? Like, right. Uh, I, I have a, a story that I heard, I want to say, in South Carolina about two years ago 
uh, I met a family, uh, a mother, father, and a kid, a little kid. Um, and the father was a pizza, either pizza chef or pizza delivery driver. And um, the, the mother was pregnant and went in for the delivery, really complicated delivery. Mm-hmm. The kid spent time in the NICU, like was having, yeah. like it was rough, a couple of weeks. Yeah. And they thought, okay, like we're going to, it's going to be expensive, but we're fine. We've got the ACE, we've got Obamacare, we've right. got insurance. Like we don't make a lot of money, but we've got, we got subsidies, we got insurance, like we're right. going to make it through. Turns out, no, the guy uh, had, re- had received a small raise at work. We're talking like 50 cents at work uh, an hour. Yeah. And uh, he reported it to healthcare.gov immediately because he wanted to be responsible. Right. But healthcare.gov did not, ch- uh, and healthcare.gov changed the subsidy level accordingly to, uh, to the private insurance company that gave insurance. Uh, the way that works is you, like there's a gradient of income. Mm-hmm. And if you make more money, you receive less subsidy. If you make more than, I want to say $46,000 per person, uh, or forty-six thousand dollars per as a, as a single person, you receive no subsidy. Um, and if you, you know, if your income goes up or down, your subsidy changes. Mm-hmm. Those subsidies are paid by the federal government to a private insurance company, who then bill you for the remainder mm-hmm. and give you insurance. And right. if you make less than four hundred percent, I think of, uh, of of the poverty line, you get some reductions in your cost, your income, and stuff too. So he just had enough of a teeny tiny, practically minuscule raise to push him out of. Subsidy level. No, not even. Uh, he was still within subsidy level. Like he went from like making uh, eleven bucks an hour to eleven fifty an hour or whatever. Um, but so he reported his raise to healthcare.gov, who therefore who then changed the subsidy accordingly to the private insurance company. Right. Private insurance company did not bill him for the increase he, he now owed. Oh God! And they didn't tell him. And so he was paying his, let's oh say, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 bucks a month like he's supposed to, but he actually owed 102 bucks a month. Yeah. So he went delinquent. It lasted three months. They never told him. Uh, he learned when they were in the emergency room or when they were in the hospital. Oh, my Their insurance God. had been terminated two months prior. So now they owe uh, like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Debt which they will never get out of. Their yeah. kid right. is like this is their kid's birthright. Is this mountain of debt which will devour their entire family? Here's this kid's entire future right. is, is is crawling out of this this pile of debt which will be bequeathed upon him uh, by his family because his dad tried to do the right thing and play the game, play by all the rules mm-hmm. and report his tiny raise to the government right. and a private company fucked it up for him. And so we've punished this dude, we've punished this kid, we punished his mother with uh, an incomprehensible amount of a, a burden they can never escape. Uh, because our model is so misaligned, our model. No, sorry, our model is perfectly aligned to <laughs> to, to subsidize private interests, yeah. but not well aligned to take care of people who need healthcare. Mm-hmm. Right? Even for folks that do the right thing, the contradictions are so elevated that you can't get away from it. Yeah. Um, and so right. I think this is this is this people. I think this is now the norm. Everyone has this experience or knows someone who's had this experience, or I think for most folks, fear that they will become the bearer of this experience right. in the future, right? Everyone knows they're just one car accident away from, from, from going through this. So I think that's phase one. Mm-hmm. Right. We've got the beginnings of a mass movement uh, that we've, we've seeded the idea in a lot of people. There are now bills, great. Phase two is fighting for and winning like um, the, the people and the bills to do it, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now it's gotta be Bernie Sanders. Uh, there's only if, if you care about Medicare for all, and I do very deeply, um, it's Bernie or it's nobody. It's mm-hmm. never for nothing. Yeah. Um, there's been one guy who's been co- like continuously for decades uh, championing uh, federal single payer, and it's him. Uh, he's elevating it as the primary goal, not a secondary goal, which yeah. is what, which has been Warren's mo. It's a thing you fight for from day one, and you don't compromise until you get there. 
which is the kind of like momentum you need to win Medicare for all, because there have been benevolent presidents and benevolent senators and benevolent policy people in the mm-hmm. past who have tried to win Medicare for all and they've lost over and over and over and over right. and over again because they did not, primarily because they did not like target and generate a big popular mass movement, which I think Bernie is aggressively trying to do and has been doing throughout his entire campaign. Yeah. So I think phase two is is, is getting him and it's got to be him into office and kind of gearing up for the actual fight, which is the right. people versus uh, capital. Yeah. And and that's phase three. Uh, phase three is when uh, the insurance industry, the car insurance industry, pharma, all their friends, pro- private home health companies, Hell yeah. uh, when they all say, no, we refuse this thing, and then we need an actual, like, riot ready movement in the streets that can like that can demand this thing be passed and that's phase three um you will note these phases get harder as they go along <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah um but i i, I do, like any good drama that's right, right. um but I, I i really sincerely do believe that things have gotten so bad for so many people and the answer is so simple like the medicare for all is a very simple policy that's why i understand it because it's very easy to understand <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not that smart i just picked an easy topic uh, I picked Mushroom Cup in the in, in, in Mario Kart <laughs> instead of Star Cup. Um, that this that this thing makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. Most folks like it. The more they learn about it, the more they like it. It's uh, as Zaza Gabor would say, it's simple, <laughs> darling. That's uh, probably the the best reference of her I've ever heard in a healthcare context. Congratulations. <laughs> no, I think that's very true. I think um, we have sort of a unique political moment right now. We have a lot of things in our corner and we have a lot of work to do. But if anything, I think I don't think a day goes by now where someone doesn't come to me and tell me a horrible story of like an $11,000 C-section that's not been covered because the child was not on the insurance when the operation started. And I think most people are pretty, pretty cute into that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you did this interesting thing the other day, uh, where you were, I think, waiting for a flight and you were soliciting answer or questions from people who were canvassing or thinking about canvassing. Um, and, uh, some of those replies were pretty fun that you got. We got, I, I feel like there are a lot of questions about, um, the pay for obviously, which, you know, we've talked about pretty extensively, but maybe we could get into a little bit like one of the more complex questions that I struggle with answering sometimes is how to talk to people who are on like who are like me on current Medicare, um, which is not the same as Medicare for all, but very unhappy with that and or or VA coverage or just sort of confused about whether or not this would be like a expansion of current Medicare or Medicare Advantage, et cetera. Do you have any like good, uh, good uh, Tim Faust talking points for people that are a little, I'm not going to say confused because that's kind of demeaning, but who are like being caught up in the pull and push between like what actually this thing is. Sure. I read into that uh, quite a bit. Like Medicare for all is a great slogan, but it's a little bit inaccurate in the sense that this is not literal Medicare. This is you could say expanded and improved Medicare for all, which mm-hmm. some folks do, which is fair. I prefer federal universal single payer or FUSP, yeah. which <laughs> nobody's really taken the taken the mantle on. I don't know. It's um, a really uh, I like the I like the vibe of that FUSP for all. FUSP. Yeah. So 
Yeah, to understand why we don't want Medicare as it exists now, you got to understand why we have Medicare as it exists now. It is, it, it, I, I compare it, the healthcare model in the U.S., including Medicare, is I would compare to like an old monastery where it was built <laughs> 1,400 years ago and mm-hmm. they bulldoze a room and build two new rooms and bulldoze a staircase. They don't, they, don't, they don't use bulldozers. They're monks. They use hammers or whatever. Um, <laughs> they're powerful fists. Uh, they destroy a wall, build two more rooms, destroy a, a wall, build two more rooms, destroy a room, build a wall, kind of back and forth. You have this right. big patchwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, B zone. What are those called? Honeycomb. Uh, <laughs> honeycomb of a little labyrinthine rooms and nooks and crannies. And that's what we have right now. This thing was never designed from the beginning. It's a, it's a series of responses and reactions to events on the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Medicare was passed because we had an aging population. <laughs> it's aged even more. Uh, right. Which is larger and larger by the day. Um, and you've got, but I mean, you got two things there. One is that people who are older weren't getting the health care coverage they needed. They, they weren't working. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of the, the, the beginning of the boom of our, our reliance upon employers as the primary insurance sponsors. Uh, you have an even aging population means they have more long-term health care needs, which weren't being addressed at all. Folks weren't living past 65. Right. Mm-hmm. So people that were were getting dumped on with, uh, with, with, with medical costs and medical debt. Also, those folks are very expensive to insure if you're a private insurance company. So if, uh, if you, like, in some senses, Medicare and Medicaid are great public-private partnerships because they take the most expensive people to insure and put them on the federal dole instead of making them get subsidized or paid for through private mm-hmm. insurance companies, which don't want them in the first place. Oh, yeah. I mean, the difference between being on uh, private insurance and Medicare is astronomical in my experience so far, even despite all the problems with Medicare, like donor mm-hmm. holes, Part D, privatization, like how it's all managed through like public private partnerships at the moment in New York state for subsidized Medicare coverage. But even with that, it is the first time in 10 years or 11 years now of being sick where I've been treated like a human being. It's pretty amazing. They called to apologize that a uh, approval took more than 24 hours. And I was so confused why they were calling. They were nice to you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Rips. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty fucking weird, especially after 10 years of, you know, fighting tooth and nail for just like simple maintenance drugs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Medicare doesn't have to answer the question of do they cover this thing? Because by and large, they do cover it. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are exceptions. There's a horror story everywhere. This is, we got a country of 330 million people of whom 42 or whatever million are on Medicare. Um, there's going to be people that have bad experiences and those are impar- those are important. Those are fair. You got to understand right. why and how. Mm-hmm. But by and large, overwhelmingly by and large, Medicare is a much nicer place to be than on private insurance. Mm-hmm. Medicare existed initially as a hospitalization um, response to deal with like long term or to deal with like hospital bills, right. mm-hmm. slip and falls, that kind of thing. Uh, later on, they added primary care and long term care. Later, later on, they added drug coverage, kind of as a re- re- response to realities on the ground with right. more drugs coming up, people getting older, people needing healthcare needs outside the hospital, chronic conditions, that kind of thing. And I think also as a response to the sort of changing way that we treat cancer, which like the uh, privatized Medicare Part D response that the Bush administration pushed forward was inadequate then. And since then, the early 2000s, cancer care and treatment has only ballooned and skyrocketed and run with it. So it's like we're every single like current system that we have right now is sort of piecemeal, as you're saying, but also like woefully under equipped to deal with our changing needs as a nation for healthcare. Right. You know, um, just pretty much across the board, we're working really, we're really behind. I uh, An example of that is the VA, right? Yeah, The totally. VA is, you know, we love our troops. We make more of them every single day. We, pr- <laughs> we produce a, a lot of veterans in this economy. 
And uh, you've got an increasing number of people who are suffering the late-term effects of Agent Orange. Yeah. Uh, people mm-hmm. who go to the VA need care. But the VA's budget is cut every year. Mm-hmm. It's either cut directly or it's it's not adjusted for inflation. Um, the VA is like, a lot of folks get great care from the VA if they're, if they're like at the 80, 90, 100% level of coverage. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of folks are kind of running into the problem what happens when you take a big structure and cut its funding over and over mm-hmm. and over and over. It's been, mm-hmm. it's been made emaciated, probably so that we can privatize it in the future. Um, that's kind of probably the end goal, like what we're seeing in the, in the, right. in the NHS. But uh, the, the VA, by all accounts, should be good if you give it the money to do its job. Yeah. We just choose not to because it's it's no one can. There's no accountability mechanism uh, in, in place. There is no mass movement to demand mm-hmm. the VA be 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 sustained. Same with the Indian Health Service, the IHS. Right. Yeah, um, totally. Just the most shit upon health agency, and probably in the U.S. Cer- certainly in the U.S. Sorry, um, totally emaciated, unable to f- f- fund itself even a little bit. Um, no new facilities, shitty care, um, no ability to negotiate costs. Just mm-hmm. been made rotten from toe to toe. Right, yeah. and the only time you ever hear about Indian Health Service is when they're like, "Oh, there's been a 20, 20 year long scandal where the same doctor who's been abusing children has just been ferried from, like." IHS center to IHS center across the United States. You never right, hear yeah. about like, oh, and by the way, like across the board, the care is substandard. And like this guy, or was they can't pro- hire anyone. Right. Yeah. This guy was moved around because they literally can't pay doctors enough to like treat people mm-hmm. in the IHS system because it's so underfunded. And there it's a joke. It's a joke, basically, you know, yeah. the way that we treat. Anyway, sorry, not to digress. I mean, it's but. it's an extension of and a uh, microcosm of and representation. It's it's a nice symbol of the way we treat Native people in the U.S. in general. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. it's historically consistent. Yeah, yes. for sure. <laughs> we uh, we're we're keeping it one thousand with uh, <laughs> the mass immiseration of uh, of Native people. Yeah, I, we I really don't perfected it. I don't mean to make a joke about it because it really is about as horrific as it gets in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but it is consistent with our ideology of of pushing folks off to where they can't be seen or heard, literally in this case, the reservation, mm-hmm. and then taking away all they got uh, um, and then letting them kind of just go die in squalor uh, for reasons that we could entirely prevent if we chose to do so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't. Nope. So Not yet. Not yet. I, I, I believe that the, the day is coming. I believe the time is at hand. I think Medicare for All could be realized in the next decade, um, and I, I really am op- optimistic in that. Because if I wasn't, why would I bother doing any of this? <laughs> um, that'd be a real yeah. big bummer. Uh, and even and that it, is an important thing to say out loud, though, because I think a lot of people constantly come to come to us and say, well, you guys are idealists. Like, I, I want to hear from a realist. And it's like, no, we're uh, we wouldn't be this idealistic and excited about it if we didn't think it was real. Yeah, I think, you know, it is it, it's a basic fact, but it is worth stating something you know? fundamentally has changed. It's mm-hmm. it's cliche and trite to say the American healthcare system is broken, like whatever. It's been broken for a long time. Right. But now it's broken to the point where it can't be repaired by any available available means. Yeah. Like when you when, when the cost of giving of, of giving birth out of pocket cost is five thousand dollars, and again, folks have less than four hundred bucks in their pocket. Right. On um, the plurality of folks, like you are at a point where like you have reached an actual like, crisis point, a tipping point, inflection point. Probably are actually over that point, but like uh, like this thing cannot be fixed with the tools available mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. it. It won't be. It won't ever be. All that will happen is that co-pays, deductibles, premiums will keep going up. Costs will keep going up. It was this constant death race between costs and coverage. And uh, nothing will ever be resolved unless the federal government does something. And your options right. are either like inject a huge quantity of cash into insurance companies <laughs> or rebuild the entire thing anew. Yeah. Uh, those, right. are, those are your only available options. 
And uh, I, I think the latter, the former has been shown to not work at all in the past 40 years. Right. The latter um, <laughs> has been shown to work in a lot of countries across the world. Uh, are, we, we could do it. But back on the original question of, of why not Medicare as it exists today. Anyway, you've got this big honeycomb. This big, like, cryptozoological, like, entity, mm-hmm. this uh, House of Leaves <laughs> thing um, that is uh, Medicare as it is today, where part A, B, and D all kind of were kind of uh, sequined on or uh, hot glued on uh, to, to react to increasing needs and healthcare utilization across an aging population. Um, part C is Medicare Advantage, which is which mm-hmm. privatized. It was a Clinton-era attempt to get some of that good, good Medicaid money out of uh, the greedy federal government hands mm-hmm. and into the pockets of Aetna and Cigna and Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, which was very successful. Um, unless, of course, you are on Medicare Advantage and are sick, in which case it is not very good for you. Yeah. You tend to turn back into Medicare uh, traditional at a pretty high rate. Um, so if, you, if you've had a bad experience on, on, on Medicare or Medicare Advantage or whatever, like, sure, I believe that. Um, but our goal is not Medicare today. Our goal is an improved Medicare for all. It's mm-hmm. called Medicare for all because it's administered in the same way. It's federally funded, not state funded, not privately funded. Not f- like it's, it's, it is a federal program that extends to all people um, regardless of their ability to pay money or like their occupation or the, where they live or whatever. It's one uniform program for all people, which is what Medicare is, uh, gated right. at the age 65 and with some exceptions for long-term care disability uh, and that kind of thing. Right. But Medicare for all is a universal program uh, for all people that is administered federally um, like the federal Medicare program is today. Right. So it's basically like using the term Medicare implies more the implementation of it than the actual quality of care or benefits. I think it's also worth noting that in a way, this is in this particular fight, this may be the final moment that we could use Medicare for all as a term, which would be like on the on the large part uh, positive, considering that even what's happened since, um, you know, it was like Medicare Advantage, which you bring up as was like already bad. But then since the Trump administration has come in, what mm-hmm. we've seen is like under the, uh, the like long term listeners will know this is a favorite villain of ours. But like under CMS administrator Seema Verma, like Ugh. Medicare Advantage plans have uh, skyrocketed in enrollment. Um, the system is the current Medicare system as it stands is getting more and more privatized simply by virtue of them like a- advertising for mm-hmm. people to go on to these privatized plans yeah you know medicare advantage um, gets little treats and trinkets and right. gujaws mm-hmm. and, and doodads that medicare traditional does not get to use yeah if you mm-hmm. let medicare advantage sorry if you let medicare do the things medicare advantage can do uh it would be great yeah. right like dental or vision or mm-hmm. Not Fitbits or, or, or rent, rent a child. 100 hours of long-term care 124, yeah. yeah. We talked about this with Steve. I, I asked Steve if he'd heard of Humana's Bold Goal Initiative, which is uh, this thing that they started in 2015 for their Medicare Advantage program where they were like, we're going to address you know, the, the structural social determinants of health in our programming. So we're going to put together this sort of like list of ways for people to report their good days and their bad days and deal with senior loneliness. And of course they like technocratically went through public private partnership, you know, uh, like Fitbit sponsorship, all sorts of wellness crap. Like it's a bunch of garbage, but it sort of inspired this movement within Medicare advantage plans to offer these sort of, uh, I like to call them like concierge benefits because they're pretty useless. Um, and they're often incredibly restrictive. So like, 
uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield got a pat on the back for rolling out this thing in 14 markets where you could pick one of like 10 different options of add-ons, right? One per year. One of them was you could get 16 meals delivered four times a year. So quarterly deliveries of 16 meals, but only if your BMI was under 18 or over 22. Another one was like, um, and this is the one I, I that just really got Steve Way was um, 124 very generous hours of personal care of home care per In year, a year. Yeah, which for Steve is he said what? So you use an hour a week? Yeah, I hate and, to be greedy, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, you know it's a uh, it's um and again it's pick one from the list. Uh, one of them was 61 way rides to medical treatment. Just there, not back, not right. home, just they'll get you there. It, and so like if we continue at the current pace right now, like most conservative estimates put us we're at like a 40% saturation rate of private plans within the Medicare market. By 2030, we will be at 70 if we don't do something like today. Yeah, I mean, the, the point is just that clearly this like it, it's the time. Right. right. I mean, oh, for sure. As John Cena would say, my time is now. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so should we talk a little bit about the public option argument that really the really smart, safe way I'm doing this while grimacing to do this situation would be a long, slow transition where we prove to people through the power of positive demonstration and incentivization that, you know, a one single payer plan is really the way to go. And that we do that by adding yet another payer to the pot just with a slightly different way of aggregating its high-risk pool. Yeah, sure. So the public option is a good idea for clowns to use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Yeah, um, like a clown college. A, a, cl- a clown college, yeah. That's the uh, employer. I'm on my university program at Clown College. Um, public op- So half, two-thirds, some large percentage of the problems in American healthcare are caused by having a lot of fragmented smaller payers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever you, it's like a like shellacking on a roof. Whenever you keep adding a new tile to it, you create more gaps. More gaps means more people fall through the gaps, and then they go to jail or get medical debt or both or whatever. Right. Um, or they just die. Yeah, or they die. Um, death is a kind of jail. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Bleak. Kind uh, of freedom too, in a way, but not the kind you want. Um, the sweet release. <laughs> the sweet release from your private insurance contract. <laughs> yeah, sweet release from Signal. Um, and so the answer is not to add another 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 insurance payer into the mix, right? Like right. the the two problems you could say if it'd be really 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 reductive in American health finance are those of coverage and those of cost. Mm-hmm. One coverage, how do you cover all people? Two cost, how do you pay for it? Um, coverage is not being solved by the addition of, of, of multiple payers. Even under Biden's plan, his, 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 his highly touted multi-payer model, uh, <laughs> 10% of people are still left uncovered, right? Yeah. Which is, which is mm-hmm. unacceptable. Like, oh, they do get coverage. It's, uh, he, once a month, he has like a procession line, like the blessing of the animals and you come and he sucks your fingers and then you're good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's a reverse vampire. Yeah. Exactly. Um, he's putting blood in your finger. I give you life, <laughs> body and blood of Biden Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but there's no solution that the multi-payer model has to uh, cover all people um, because the people that are left uncovered are people that are expensive to cover in the first place. Uh, people who are poor, people who are sick, people who are both, 
no one's going to want to cover them of their own volition. So mm-hmm. this a, adding more pairs to the mix does not solve this problem. Mm-hmm. What might happen is that the public option becomes the insurer of last resort that in which these undesirables are sloughed off or sloughed into, right. therefore making their their average cost per person skyrocket. Because mm-hmm. if you only have sick folks in an insurance pool, average cost of coverage is really, really high. Uh, the fundamental rule of all insurance is that most people don't get sick very often. Most folks don't go to the doctor. So you use their money to subsidize the people that do, right? Uh, half of all medical costs come from 5% of the population, um, 80% from 20%. And the other 80% of people subsidize everybody else's, which is like a good and fair and just model because the rotating disc of fate uh, spins <laughs> and mm-hmm. condemns all of us to suffer at some point, but not at the same time and not uniformly. And those of us who are, uh, you know, the 5% super users, we, you know, essentially are guinea pigs for everyone else's science. So we're more than happy to use all the healthcare and try shit out so that when you get sick with cancer, um, we've already tried those medications for y'all. So you can think about it as like sort of an investment in your future to be paying for the care of very sick people because that is where the research, that is who the research is being done on physically. That makes you a troop, basically. I always think about uh, the fact that I have a very, very big responsibility to the next generation of people with autoimmune diseases to, you know, help improve diagnostics and treatment plans and train doctors. I always tell doctors that they're more than welcome to send in their youngest resident who's never done a spinal tap before to do one on me. Um, I've had two people faint before being like, is it supposed to bleed this much? And then you know, they hit the ground, but you know, it's part of your responsibility as a, as a high frequency user of the healthcare system to become a part of the research machine. You are a curriculum. Well, (laughs) it's the least I can do in my opinion. You know what I mean? So I I am a super utilizer. So (laughs) wouldn't it be better to, uh, concentrate that funding and really like put the research money into that population in a way that like delivers returns for the 80% that could benefit from it maybe three, five, 10, 15, 20 years from now versus what we have now, which is just a fucking disorganized, inefficient right. mess. You know, I frankly never, never thought of it that way, probably because I'm not one of the 5%. <laughs> um, and I think that's uh that's really wholesome. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Um, that's heartening. That's, that's agency. That's cool. Uh, we need a lot of folks who are healthy and don't spend a lot of money on their health care to subsidize those who are uh, and to do. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles. That's why we have insurance. The alternative is like the Wild West, everybody paying out of pocket for all mm-hmm. the health care needs. Yeah. We already tried that. It was called the 1800s. It didn't work great. Uh, insurance is like the more humane and fair and just model. Fantastic. Um, but like you need to have that 70% of people who don't spend any money to subsidize everybody else. And the public option, which only covers the uh, sick and poor, will not have that ability. So mm-hmm. its costs will skyrocket. Right. It'll be unable to, 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 to sustain itself and therefore will be an unattractive option to. There's this mythical idea that I think insur- em, 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 employers will push their employees on the, on the public option. And maybe that'll happen, but not at the volume required to handle the influx of sick mm-hmm. and poor people who otherwise uh, would, would, would be covered. Also, there's like means testing, there's gating mechanisms. Yeah, there will still sure. be gaps. So long as the program is not universal, there will be gaps. And into those gaps will fall like the most vulnerable folks that we have, have available or most, I'd say, oppressed folks that we have that we have around. Uh, and then two, 
Um, no public option will be, will be permitted to interfere with the profits of private companies. Mm-hmm. My example or my comparison is public student loans. Public right. student loans yeah, are that was never a, a threat. really good example. Totally, because yeah. they in theory we have this program. We have it. We have a, a public option for student loans, but it never even like infringes upon. Sally May, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sally May spends a lot of money to make sure that the federal student loans never come to the level required to threaten Sally May. And we'll see the exact same thing with a public option. Uh, I stole that idea from Frank Pasquale. Mm. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar yeah, with him. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, he's a true heart. I like him a lot. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and that was his comparison. And I found it very... I At one point in my life, at one shameful point in my life, <laughs> I thought the public option could be a like sustainable like interim measure. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to um, but I have lost faith. I think I was wrong. Yeah. And I've lost faith in that argument for reasons that now seem obvious. I mean, me. at, the, at the very least during the ACA fight, it seemed like, oh, that was like the, that was the idea. I thought right? that was going to uh, be step one. And that, like in eight to 10 years, we could be pushing for an expansion of an opt out universal program. Yeah. And we didn't even get that. We didn't even get a public option. Yeah. yeah so but I'm going to be a spoiled millennial brat and double dip and say one, fuck the public option and two, fuck Obama for not getting a public option. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I both don't want it and also wanted it retroactively. Um, so <laughs> I want to have my cookie. I need it too. Yeah. Anyway, so public option simply won't work. It, like, it, it does not challenge any of the structural problems in healthcare, cost and coverage. Um, you can solve these things only through a single pair. The question of cost and the question of coverage are addressed very simply and very plainly through a single pair and only through a single pair. The German comparison, the Dutch comparison are horseshit for a variety of reasons. <laughs> um, what they have there is, is still rooted in like a, 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 a deep, powerful, monolithic, like single entity that can control costs and- Oh, yeah. can guarantee coverage, which you don't have in the U.S. Um, and so we, you don't solve the problem by like, discontinuing the problem. You solve it by solving it with a with a, the, the thing that works, and that is the 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 federal universal single payer, the FUSP, the, uh, the, the the Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Right. I like to point out when people start touting like, oh, well, the Netherlands, don't they do such a good job? It's like, yeah, and they garnish your wages if you like underpay or miss your payment. I think it's not even that they garnish your wages. It's that uh, if you don't, if you're not enrolled in one of the plans, they will after a certain period of time auto enroll you, and they will the your premium charge essentially or whatever is the equivalent of the premium charge uh you will be charged 120 percent and they take it, it directly out of your paycheck right. and the government takes it and gives it to the private company that they have contracted to extract this money from you that yeah. is their system that is how they achieve i think it's like 98 percent coverage and that's uh similar to the Buttigieg model of mm-hmm. uh, building yeah. retroactively that's a very good point and in the in the netherlands i believe 10 per, I put this in the book and i believe it's correct otherwise i wouldn't put it in the book <laughs> um 10 percent of citizens report inability to access care because they can't afford it right mm-hmm. so they're insured but they're not they're not they still have copays and premiums and they can't afford right. to actually use their health care and 10 percent is an unforgivable number i mean one yeah. percent is an unforgivable number 10 percent 10 percent is 10 times as unforgivable as one percent um and 100 times more unforgivable than 0.1 percent um <laughs> the thing isn't working great there after the recession uh, the government of the Netherlands came to the aid of insurance companies, and I forgot exactly what happened. But people couldn't pay their premiums because they didn't have any money because it was mm-hmm. a recession. We were just talking about this on an episode. Yeah, uh, like where we were making we were making we were making fun of that uh, that Vox series that you may be familiar with, mm-hmm. which is the um, other pathways to care. Or to universal care or whatever. Which is funded by the and, Commonwealth um, Fund, who's been funding all these like bold goal Medicare Advantage. Who support these Medicare right, Advantage yeah. uh, like little... Studies and pilot programs. Like, and, uh, yeah. yeah, credit card rewards programs of uh, 
Oh, and of course, the board of that that fund is full of insurance executives, like current Mm -hmm. executives at United and Kaiser. I will say in Vox's defense that there's two Dylans there. There's good Dylan and there's chaotic Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, chaotic Dylan is Dylan Matthews. Good Dylan is Dylan... Scott? Scott. Yeah, he's he's good Dylan. He's in the healthcare beat. And he's written a lot, not only about um, the German model and the Scandinavian model, but he's written a lot about how single payer could work in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And the kind of like Pratt Falls and Pratt. Like, I think Vox has the, I hate to say it, but Vox has some of the best healthcare reporting in the U.S. A lot of that is Dylan's. Like, Dylan does a very, very good job of pointing out where the problems are. Um, I think because of his job, he can't be prescriptive in a lot of ways. And I don't Mm -hmm. don't want to assume that I know what he actually actually (laughs) believes. But uh, his his record his reporting on problems in American healthcare up with I mean he's he and Sarah Cliff I think are the the two best healthcare reporters in the U S mm-hmm. uh, I don't really know where either the affiliations are but it doesn't matter because the the reporting is good right. even if I, even if I disagree with the conclusions that they uh, that they come to sometimes right yeah it still proves our point especially that Sarah Cliff hospital billing surprise billing data crap the database that she's been working on for what like four or five years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we um should we talk about the disability rights plan? Because uh, I know I know sure. that uh, yeah. Tim, you said that as of as of uh, this recording currently. So don't uh, don't assume if you see Tim when this comes out like a week or so after that you may not have read Tim the uh, by now the plan. I will have read it. But yes, it, it exactly. came out two days ago, I believe. Yeah. 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 We on this podcast, for example, have talked about like what comes next after single payer could be an American NHS. For example, mm-hmm. um, we don't seizing pharma, seizing right. PBMs, and uh, we don't see that exactly in the disability policy. But we do see things uh, like this, which are like I think interesting layers on top of a single payer system. Like, um, and I guess I'll just quote here, so you can have the exact, so you hear what is uh, being said, and it's not like me trying to filter it. But um, uh, they would quote that a Sanders administration would quote require an evaluation of health disparities including geographic disparities in a plan for addressing the disparities uh, found in that evaluation. Uh, Based on that, it would create an office of primary health um, to figure out how to increase access to care, including how to train the workforce we need to address those disparities. So this idea, you know, I think like, so this this is one of a couple of things, but I think like that idea of like, you know, it's obviously not just who pays, it's also these questions like how do we, how do we deploy the like care where we need it? Long-term work care workers or like social workers, for example, in the field or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The office of primary care, I believe is in Sanders's Senate bill. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. The actual stuff. So around, that's my wonk bad, oh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's a couple of, it's like a paragraph in a giant bill, right? He doesn't really right. fl- flesh it out. I think a lot of his stuff around disability and long-term care has been a recent development in the Sanders campaign, which yeah. is cool. I mean, like mm-hmm. better now than later. And luckily, he's doing the best of anybody. Even even though it, it's it's not like wasn't it wasn't like a day one thing. He's still kicking ass, which rips. No, I mean <laughs> I think it's funny because I think the first time we actually sat down with you was um, the day that Jayapal's bill or Jayapal's office called you, mm-hmm. and you were like, they put long term care in, which was I think one of the coolest things to hear um, because it's basically virtually been unaddressed by any of the previous. Uh, single payer bills, you know, like the Ted Kennedy stuff, the Dingle stuff from like the past 20 years, you know, long-term care sort of existed as this almost like secondary luxury market of, of, Mm -hmm. of safety and security. That's optional, even though it's 100% not. Even in Sanders' uh, 18 bill, he preserved Medicaid to exist for the purposes of of, of allocating long-term care, which works Mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And they're really, you know, they're really important things that he's going to do that are in the disability plan of day one that sort of, I think I've, for me, done a lot of right on those wrongs from the 2018 bill where there was sort of like a commitment to to retaining Medicaid for long-term care. There are, there are executive orders that would, from the immediacy of the presidency and, and rule changes that would be undone and done within HHS and CMS, which would ensure that we could reform long-term care services through Medicaid as they exist now immediately as we work towards a transition to like a federally funded um opt-out universal long-term care program as part of Medicare for All that includes like jobs training and uh, worker protections and just support for an industry of people who like serve exploited underserved populations and where the workforce is just continuously like exploited by these private companies who charge like hundreds of dollars a week and then pay them like $11.34 an hour, which is not livable. So yeah, so I mean that like we've been reading the disability rights platform to get excited. So um what have you been jazzed about in order to like support our our single choice at this point for <laughs> for Medicare for all? Hmm. I mean I text for Bernie a lot. It's the thing I can do when I'm at work. Sorry, when I'm not at work. Um I'm not just <laughs> texting from the office bathroom uh half Definitely an hour a day. Personal Never time. doing That's that. That's right. It, they can't take that from me, although they'd like to. Um and uh, the health, I don't know, the healthcare seems, seems to be pretty positively received. Like no one's, no one likes their current healthcare. No one likes their current insurance. People like being insured. No one likes their insurance company. Right. And uh, this offers a way to kind of harness that frustration and harness that knowledge of being fucked over and channel it towards something positive. In this case, Medicare for all as listed under or as a championed by one Bernie Sanders. That's really energizing. This is a thing people care about. It's I think one of the first things people talk about is Sanders's uh, Medicare for all plan, and people respond to it really, 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 really well. Um, uh, when I talk to folks, I try, I try I try to open again by saying like, "Hey, you know you're being screwed over. How are the ways you're being screwed over by your current insurance? Who have you seen that you love be kind of like?" Uh, uh, dealt a blow by how their insurance company you know mistreats them, mm-hmm. and then from there I talk about well this thing need not exist this way. Like here's how this insurance, here's how insurance works. Um, here's why these things work the way they do. They got to seek profits. So they can't take care of you. Costs keep skyrocketing. Costs are way out of control. No one can bring them down. Only a single pair resolves both of these problems at once. And only Medicare for all like has as the gravitas and the and the hot spot to really take on these <laughs> problems at the same time. People go oh okay cool. Um, people yeah. tend to feel it. I mean, this is not, a, this is literally life or death for millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Yeah. And people respond in kind. Right. And it's a totally. pretty simple answer, actually, I think. You know, like reducing the complexity in the finance model of, of healthcare in the United States would just do like immense steps towards. I think starting to write some of the wrongs that are on uh, your wish list in your book, like dealing with uh, rural health care, IHS, maternal mortality, like the consolidation of the industry. Like, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we have a moment right now where Bernie's plan is becoming the default it is the only one. It is the only presidential candidate in the race for 2020 um, who actually is is putting forth step one towards, um, you know, sort of starting to right some of the larger wrongs within the healthcare system in the United States. I guess here's what, uh, here's what else I put out there, right? Um, there are a lot of problems that single payer does not solve, but mm-hmm. they can only be solved by a single payer. Yeah. 
Um, I use my examples of housing as a, as a good one, right? If, if you're a person who doesn't have housing or if your housing isn't safe, it's flammable, it's full of water, it's full of mold <laughs> or whatever, uh, then, and so you're getting sick and you go to the hospital and you get out and you got nowhere to go except back to where you became sick or back to the streets, then housing is healthcare. In right. order to bring housing, healthcare costs down, you got to build safe affordable social housing. That's how you bring long-term health care costs down. We know yep. this, right? Like mm-hmm. there have been studies done out the wazoo for the past 15 years, uh, determining like d- divining from the tea leaves that people <laughs> are homeless. They get sick more often and use more hospital facilities. Um, and so I wonder why it, it, it's yeah. big brain genius hours. And in order to, <laughs> to, uh, to solve these problems, you just give them housing. And right yeah. now you have hospitals that do this because hospitals bear those costs. Um, some insurance companies are beginning to build like sh- very shitty housing. Oh, for yeah, very, yeah. United Healthcare's yeah. shit in Nevada or Arizona. But like, why, why should we delegate this life or death matter to private companies? Yeah. Right. That, that single payer is, is, is compelled to begin investing in these, like the federal government now is the, the democratically ruled, democratically governed Medicare for all is compelled to begin investing in these long-term, they're called social term, determinants of health and really strive towards this more just world for all people. Right. We understand mm-hmm. that like healthcare in America is capricious and cruel and unfair <laughs> and unjust, but single payer offers us a vision of like a gentler world, a kinder world, a more compassionate world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And let's just not only articulate the end, the end result, but also the means of getting there through mm-hmm through single payer. And I find that really emancipatory, right? Uh, mm. Now suddenly we are accountable for not only the healthcare needs of people around us, but also the social conditions which have led to those healthcare needs in the first place. Yeah. And only single payer has the tools and the financing and the weight and the might to begin reckoning with problems like housing or food insecurity or abuse or long-term care for people disabilities, environmental justice, only single payer has the ability to kind of like take on these problems, the leverage. It becomes our tool, our fulcrum, our lever to like begin attacking these big, broader monsters, these monsters of capitalism, Mm -hmm. which devour us and uh, nothing else, no other fucking interim plan, no public option, no nothing can even begin to comprehend these problems as problems. Yeah. Your glide and path we, has nothing on this well, plan. And, and, and we know, and we uh, know actually, even as uh, B just mentioned, we know what happens when uh, private companies or other entities try to. I, I don't even want to say address them, like try to like think about them, because the like the United Health example is a, right. A situation it's always where framed in a avoiding future well, costs. No, I mean that that's sense. that's for that's for sure the thing, but also it's like the United Health example is um, this like particularly uh, I think pernicious one where essentially um you know they administer a state medicaid program they realize that there are you know a a lot of homeless people who are on medicaid um and that they want to essentially like keep them from having to by necessity like you know again totally rationally for like very good reason go to the emergency room frequently to like either get care or shelter and so they uh put them up for a year in what what are essentially sro's and then after that year, they begin With charging them rent. Means testing and work requirements. Right, but and then yeah. after that year, they begin charging them rent. So United Health essentially becomes their landlord. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is this isn't a this right. Is, this and is they, far from a humane system. And they frame it: oh, we're trying to avoid, you know, cost, future cost, right? And then if you like read further through their statements on why they're doing this. That's the cost to the shareholder, not the cost of the system as a whole, not the cost to the patient's life or or health outcomes. You know, I, I think it was a it was a really strong point 
in the conversation that we had with Adam Gaffney where he said, you know, we've basically decided that there are certain things that are unjust fundamentally. Making sicker people pay more, people don't agree with. But as it stands... In like, the form of higher premiums. Right, in the form of higher premiums. But as it stands, like, uh, essentially, sicker people are paying more no matter what under our current system. And, uh, you know, I think it's what the average family pays, like something like 16-something thousand dollars a year out of pocket between co-pays and premiums and uh, deductibles. And, you know, essentially right now, like, we have no leverage and no tools to try and like help anyone out if we don't pass this first, in my mind. Well, there's no room for dignity in the multiplayer model. And there, there, right. ne- right. there never will be. This is uh, how a person lives and how good their experience is and how like deep and rich and vibrant we permit their life to be is not considered the, the multiplayer model. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and in fact, it's the opposite. It reckons that there are things that poor children die from which ought to spare the rich. Like we, 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 we've, we've kind of built this horrible web and we've trapped people in it. And the sicker off, the sicker, the poorer you are, the, the more and more meshed you are in it. Mm-hmm. And there's no relief. This thing, this thing which has caused these problems cannot itself solve these problems. Mm-hmm. And so settling for these half-ass quarter measures does nothing to <laughs> right. make anybody's life any better. Only like single pair. There are still a thousand dragons we got to fight even after we win single pair, which we will. Um, but we have no means of, 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 of tackling them, of approaching them, but through a single pair and, and, and what it offers us. I think it really is like the, it is the cornerstone of that broader vision of a better world. I believe in that fully. Mm-hmm. Totally. Artie, do you have any, is there, what, uh, have we left anything out? We could talk about the Medicare for All series that you're doing and working on. Oh, sure. Yeah. Do you mind talking about that? Sure. So I got really high and I watched Nathan for you. <laughs> the phrase Medicare for you appeared in my brain and I thought I should make a YouTube series. So I'm going ahead and doing that. Um, I, so it. all my like hashtag content about single pair is available either like an hour long podcast format right. or like my 45 minute long speeches, which are on YouTube or like the book that I wrote, which is cool. Like I'm proud of Mm -hmm. it. It's chill, but isn't really very take homeable. You can't show it to your mom or dad. You can't show like you can wave the book around and you should. It's a great book. You can buy it. I hope there's another com. Um, (laughs) But like it's, it's not the same kind of thing. And so I asked some friends who run canvases in Nevada, like where, what, like what gaps exist? And the answer mm. was Facebook videos and YouTube videos. Interesting. Uh, Gen X gets all their news from Facebook videos, and Boomers and Zoomers get their news from YouTube. Um, Crazy. <laughs> and wild uh, to think about. So not my not too surprising. I mean, just how much control the algorithm has. Sorry, continue. Oh, it's it's and it's turning them all into Nazis. Oh yeah, we gotta <laughs> inject as much Tim Faust content into these algorithms as we possibly yeah. can. And so I figured, well, I can go ahead and condense a lot of. Single payer stuff, health policy stuff, papers that I like, questions about what is insurance, insurance 101 kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, things about housing and, and, and food and, and income and the opioid epi- epidemic into little five minute long, seven minute long videos and put them up. And that. so I got a little production crew of my friends. We got a little space and I've got a flip chart. I bought some really fancy markers from Japan and I'm going to go ahead and an exacto knife. We're going to go ahead and see what we can do and, and put some videos together. So by the time this comes out, uh, it might be out. It might not. But if, uh, if, if for pe- people listening in the future, this in the future, the year 3000, um, it's called Medicare for you. It'll be on YouTube and we'll have, we'll, um, we're, we're shooting them in like clusters of five trying to do like one or two a week and release them from there. Awesome. So we'll see how it goes. 
Yeah. Very exciting. If it's not out by the time that uh, this comes out, then we'll definitely be posting about it, I think, the moment it's uh, done. We're going to definitely help signal boost that. No, I think it's really good. And one of the things that I was uh, talking about with recently with someone who works on the official campaign was like, you know, if people want to help, tell them that one of the best things they could do is go through the speeches of campaign surrogates or people like Tim and say, like, this is my favorite part about Tim. Tim's like shtick when he was in Idaho in 2016 and take your clip and like post it and just email your friends. Like literally we can just all continue to sort of like regurgitate each other's content like into the world with credit, obviously. And, um, you know, the only way that we can fight like a, a greedy virus like private insurance is through like mimicking their methods. Yeah. The only way to get socialized medicine is socialized takes, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Sorry. That was super fucking corny. It's okay. Anyway. I like it. I'm on steroids. No, I think it's really good. And I, I have to say, like, I think all the work that you do, Tim, not to just like your horn for a second but you you you're an inspiring and charismatic voice for this issue and and here at death panel i think we all really appreciate the work that you've been doing on this so thank you thank you i'm just having fun i'm gonna go ahead and and do this i've been doing this a little bit on twitter and i'm gonna do it again now if you are a listener and you go ahead and you volunteer for bernie sanders um by phone banking or canvassing or texting i like texting and you send me proof i will send you a pdf of my book hell yeah that sounds like a really great trade-off hell yeah just DM um, me your shit yeah, with screenshot Krulge, or whatever. At Krulge, right? yeah, it's, it's a nonsense C-R-U-L-G-E. word. C-R-U-L-G-E. Mm-hmm. It was the shortest non-word word I could find back in 2011. Um, <laughs> I know, I'm so jealous that Tim Rogers just says 108. Like, yeah. Oh, baller move. A friend of mine has IRL, which I'm also very nice. jealous of. Wow. You know? Yeah. Wow. Though you're sitting on a pretty good Instagram name, which is Bush did 9-11. Yeah. So yeah. you can't ever give that one up either. Teens asking for it all the time. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So go ahead and uh, go out, volunteer, hit the ground, talk to people, text people, uh, turn any interaction possible into a conversation about single payer. And uh, don't be fooled by a carrot that is a public option because it is unacceptable. Except yeah. nothing less. What did you say? Nerf or nothing. It's nerf or nothing. Yep. It's nerf or nothing. And I we, like that. And we got to win phase two before we get to the, the final boss. Or not really final boss, but you know, it kind of becomes like more of a service game. I think after that point of keeping the program alive, but still. Well, we <laughs> sorry. can sit here and go through my thesis no, about but, why I think the fight for universal healthcare is like Dark Souls, but that would be a whole other episode. Yeah. So. Well, I just mean we got to win phase two so that we can get to the point where we're piling bodies on Capitol Hill to make this actually happen, even yep. under a Bernie Sanders presidency. So. We're the only police are the ADA police at the end of the day. Sure. <laughs> we need we need Bernie Sanders to be president so we, we can yell at him yeah yeah exactly i mean i can't think of anyone else i'd rather fight in that office right now than than his fantastic team who works very hard so yeah you know i think it's worth trying to elect someone who will listen it's good to have finally instead of an old man yelling at people in the street people in the street yelling at an old man who is happily listening (laughs) say it like that i guess i don't know cloud yells at old man exactly we can be the cloud be the cloud you wish to see in the world. We're a swarm. (laughs) (laughs) Like a cloud of locusts, but better. Yeah. Yeah. 
We're zerglings. It's, it's like a play. It's like the play. You know, Moses used the plagues for a reason, right? They say that's uh, that was a type of mass movement building. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I, I don't know. We could get very biblical here. We could just start dumping uh, frogs and crickets into the offices of sure. Edna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Kaiser, United. Oscar. Oh, Oscar. <laughs> uh, who you else? Cigna, um, uh, uh, Magellan. What else? Anthem. Wellcare, Anthem. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying Nira. one could possibly take like 50 frogs and just mail them to Cap and see what happens. Sure. You know, just regular frogs or plastic frogs. That would be cute. Yeah, frogs yeah. are friends. Frogs right. are friends. Yeah. We don't want to hurt frogs. Yeah. So, uh, Tim, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on and helping us wrap out this uh, very first Shark Week of Healthcare presented by the Death Panel. Um, hopefully one of many uh, of these sort of issue-oriented series but that we'll be doing uh, over the next uh, couple months or years, depending on how long I can survive under our <laughs> current health insurance model. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, if I died, it would probably derail our, our work for maybe about a month. But I I, okay. I trust my co-host to pick up where I leave off if I were to <laughs> fall victim to private insurance mm-hmm. greed. So um you know yeah and uh, if you're listening to this on the uh morning of february 11th and uh you're you're one of those for whom this applies go fucking win new hampshire please go win new hampshire do it for us do it yeah. for tim thank you do it for me <laughs> yeah and, and for you very cute dog too he's a good boy and tim, tim's dog ume right ume yeah ume sorry yeah so do it for tim and ume yeah yeah well b already thank you for having me i appreciate it Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on as always. So yes, uh, go ahead and read Tim's book. Bother Tim if you canvas and uh, don't ever stop talking about single payer and accept nothing less. Nerf or nothing. Yep. Right? Uh, yeah. And we got a new one now. Swarm them. Swarm them like the Zerg. So. <laughs> well, and thank you all for joining us for uh, the very first annual Medicare for All week. Do your best to stay alive until the next week. And we'll see you back in the main feed like our regular old schedule again. Yeah, and let's incentivize it. If you if you listen to all of them in a certain order, there's a secret message. That's not true, but it will help you get really good on Medicare for All if you need to go canvas. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think if everyone listens to all of them, they should like hop into our Discord and announce it, and then they'll get a special badge or something in sure. our Discord for like... Uh, has been fully indoctrinated through the program. Yeah. Right? You get like a certificate of authenticity. Cool. All right. That's that's it. This has been Medicare for All Week. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Medicare for All Week from the Death Panel. This concludes our special week of programming. We hope this series has been as energizing for our listeners as it was for us to produce. Only together will we defeat capitalism and dethrone the plutocrats. If you have enjoyed this series please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod for patron-only episodes and to help us make series like Medicare for All Week possible. We release new episodes twice weekly and are entirely listener-supported. Goodbye for now. Until next time. Patreon.com slash Death Panel Pod. Solidarity forever.
so tough.